0: Thank you so much, Steve. Good morning, everyone. So nice to see you and also a good morning and hello to everyone that is live streaming. Uh, It's great that you are able to join us in this way. During uh, this interesting year, one of my favorite things has been affected in a big way, being sports. And uh, I'm a huge rugby fan. Some of you, if you've been here for a while, will know that and rugby isn't uh, great watching at the moment. And so I've thought about venturing into watching um, some football. Now, uh, can you help me out here? Where do I start? If I'm going to watch a team, who should I be watching? Arsenal, Liverpool. This is getting a bit messy. Um, did any, no anyone get that no okay this is bad um so <laughs> there you go so some of us are catching on now you know it's so interesting how I, I i love this time of year because uh it gets to like the awards time where Uh, All the different sporting codes start to have their annual prize-giving. Team of the year, player of the year, uh, coach of the year, all of those kinds of things across all different different sports codes. And even uh, at the moment, they're starting to debate uh, in in rugby circles, player of the decade, and things like that. And being a sports nerd, I find that really interesting, and I love to follow all the debates around that. Uh, For all the sports fans, you know, the big one every year is the the Ballon d'Or. About 500 people get together to try to decide who's worthy of being the best soccer player uh, for that year. And it's amazing how much energy goes into that. It's amazing uh, how much media play that all of these uh, sporting codes get and, and the players get. And then the articles afterwards justifying why they should get it. And, and uh, articles justifying why they shouldn't have got it. And this player should have got it. And, and, and people have a field day debating who's the best, who's the best of all time, who's worthy of the honor, who's worthy of the title um, of the greatest or the best for that year. It's amazing how much energy goes into that. And it's something as inconsequential as sport, right? And then we have things uh, that are non-negotiables. I think of things like uh, air, water, food, right? We don't debate whether or not we need air. You know, nobody's going, uh, you know, it's okay if you just don't breathe for the rest of your life, you know, or it's okay, just don't drink water, you, you'll be okay. There's certain things that we just don't argue about, right? We know that they're fundamentally true. If I don't have air, what's the consequence? I'm going to die. If I don't have water, there's a, a consequence. I'm, I'm going to, we don't argue with some of those truths. But the amazing thing about us as people is we love to argue, we love to debate, and we love to, and and, and the term that's kind of been coined in in recent times is all truth is relative. Uh, We like to disregard fundamental truths, and we like to apply things to our lives that are true for us. And you know because we have access to all these platforms and media and there's all these committees that get together to decide who's the best and what's true and what you should vote for and and things like that we sometimes and this is happening more and more in the church lose sight of what is of absolute truth for us and because we forget that and we don't focus on those things it has implications on our lives So we're going to be doing a series over the next few weeks. And we're going to be camping out in the New Testament book of Hebrews. So why don't you turn there so long? Um, If you have a device or a a paperback Bible, turn there. You can, uh, don't be ashamed to look in your contents page for it. You can put a bookmark because you'll be there. If you're streaming, you've got a chance to run uh, to your bookshelf or whatever, to grab something, to find the book of Hebrews and get to chapter two today we are going to be uh, Hebrews chapter two and from verse 14. Before we start there I want to lay a uh, a foundational truth for us and for this series see uh as I'm saying this you know people battle with Uh, having anybody impose an absolute truth on them we don't like that as people because we want to be able to pick and choose and customize our value system and what we believe but what the writer of Hebrews is going to be doing and what we're going to be focusing on for the series is some of these absolute truths because with them comes a way that we should be living in light of the absolute truth As i said if i know that i can't live without air i carry on breathing i don't hold my breath uh, until i die i know the consequences and i know what i should be doing because i know the absolute truth and so what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be taking some of these truths we're going to be unpacking them and then looking at the natural outworking and the impact it should be having on our lives but to start this off with here is the foundational truth for us Uh, This morning, and I don't want to take this for granted. See, we believe in the literal physical death and resurrection ascension of Jesus. Now, when it comes to church and when it comes to matters of faith, sometimes people get involved in church and they really enjoy community. This church in particular has fantastic community. We love people. So somebody comes in, they enjoy people. They enjoy the singing and the worship, the coffee, the brownies, the community engagement. And so uh, this happens when people get into a church community, uh, then hear things about Jesus, the church. And so people can end up becoming, in their minds, believers or, or Christians, churchgoers, without resting their lives on this fundamental truth. See, when we talk about faith and when we talk about what we believe as Christians, and especially here at Riverside, this is the foundation that we build everything on. That there was a literal and physical death of Jesus. He then literally and physically rose again from the dead and ascended to the father. Now, obviously, there's more to that, and that's going to be unpacked through the series. See, if you want to disprove Christianity, you don't go to the age of the earth. You, you, you know, you don't go to um, things like uh, church divisions or why there's so many denominations. You don't go to, you know, inconsistencies or perceived inconsistencies. Um, in the Bible. This is uh, an interesting one here. If you want to uh, debate someone who is trying to tell you that Christianity isn't true, you can bypass all of those things. And, and something I love to do in debates is like, oh, you can have all of those. You want to disprove Christianity, you need to go here. You need to go to the physical death and resurrection of Jesus. Because for us, our faith is not this uh, force of the universe that we try and tap into, what is rooted, and and for me personally, if you want to know, Craig, why are you in full-time ministry? Why are you a Christian? It's because something happened. There was an event. There was a person, Jesus Christ, who lived and he died and he rose again. There is enough evidence to prove that. I mean, just uh, within scripture alone, you've got the disciples. Every single one of them died proclaiming that Jesus Christ was Lord. Died horrible deaths when they could have just admitted it was a lie. No, they went on to die. My personal favorite, the half brother of Jesus, James, we see in scripture, uh, the family of Jesus wanting to pull Jesus out of ministry going, no, listen, don't listen to him. This is nonsense. And then after Jesus's death and resurrection, you see James leading the church in Jerusalem. And James ends up dying, and as he's dying, he's worshipping his brother Jesus. Uh, If you have older siblings, I know we've mentioned this before, but if you have an older sibling, you will know this. Your older sibling uh, behaves as if they're God. Here we know this. Uh, I'm an older sibling, Uh, I can speak to this. But younger siblings, What does it have to take for you to die worshiping your sibling as God? In James's case, it was, he witnessed his brother die and saw him again, raised to life through his own power three days later. So much so that he became the leader of the church and died for his faith. The fact that there was 500 uh, people who witnessed the resurrection at the same time, and uh, there's some incredible literature written on this, uh, but it is impossible for so many people to share uh, the same hallucination as uh, people try to use to disprove some of these things. But that's just a small snapshot of evidence for me, for us here as leaders at this church, everything we do is rooted in this event. Right? Faith is resting in the fact that Jesus came, lived, died, rose, and ascended. And that has some very real implications for our lives. And I don't want to miss this because this is why we do what we do. Paul writes If Jesus did not die, we should be pitied more than anyone else. This is why the series is called If Jesus. Because if these truths are real, they're not negotiable. They're not debatable. This happens. What are the implications for you and me? What should be the result of our lives because of this event that happened? For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, that he might make atonement for sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help all those who were tempted. There is a lot going on in this passage, but all it is explaining is what I've uh, laid before us. And so I wanna pick out a couple of uh, words that I wanna highlight from here. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the importance of the literal, physical death and resurrection of Jesus. And so, the first thing I want to pull out for you is the the phrase, Abraham's descendants. I just want to point out that uh, the historical, literal, physical death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is for you and me. There is something very personal about the death of Jesus Christ. And it's important to know this, that it's not just some historical event that we talk about. It's not something that the church likes to highlight around Easter time, that what happened all those years ago has direct implications on my life and your life. Now, the next phrase that I want to point out is this, or the word atonement. Now, guys, I, I know you're thinking, Craig, come on, it's hot it's a Sunday, and now you're going to go into these big church words. And so I'm going to help us understand what's going on here, because this is very important. So the word atonement is something that is so critically important to understanding uh, the death and, and, and work of Jesus Christ. But to understand the word is to, or, or to better understand this word is to pronounce it wrong. And so here's what we're going to do. So the word is atonement. Atonement. And to understand this phrase, uh, pronounce it at one month. Can we all say at one month? at one month. So when you read it, don't read atonement. Uh, read at one month, and you'll get a better understanding of what's going on here. There's some personal work that Jesus is doing, and we call that work atonement at one month. And so uh, the whole of the Old Testament leads to uh, this moment so you've got Jesus who uh dies on the cross uh why don't we put the next one up so that uh and go to the next one so here you've got the foundational truth that the writer is putting out there the literal physical uh death and resurrection of Jesus and now the text is going uh in doing this he acted as a high priest and he makes this what we call the atonement or atoning sacrifice so the whole of the Old Testament leads up to this moment Once a year, a high priest would go into the very kind of inner place of the temple uh, where the presence of God would be. He would go once a year and he would make a sacrifice. He would pour blood onto the altar... Stemming back all the way to the very beginning in Genesis, where Adam and Eve were removed from God's presence, they could no longer be in the Garden of Eden, they could no longer be uh, with God like they were, they became separated from God, they were no longer one with God in His presence, there was now a permanent divide between God and His creation, us as people. And so this is where we talk about the personal uh, work of Jesus and implications for my life and for your life. And so when we talk about this, when the writers talk about this truth, here are some of the, the results or the applications of that. So this uh, moments of Jesus dying on the cross, being this sacrifice, that then removes that which separated us. That's why we say at one month. We were separated from God because of our sin. We could not be in His presence. And so the work of Jesus is to remove that so that we could become sons and daughters, part of His family, made uh, no longer enemies separated, but friends in God's presence because of the work of Jesus. This is what is so important uh, for us to hold this truth foremost in our minds. The death of Jesus is very real and has very important implications for our lives because it has uh, this work of restoring us to the Father. Right, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, he goes on to say, Therefore... Now we know this word is so important when we see it in Scripture, right? We always say this: whenever you see a therefore, you need to ask, "What's the therefore? Therefore, why is it there?" And so this is everything that I've been speaking about. The passages that are uh, we've read in Chapter Two uh, go. Now this is the application. He's been unpacking this truth for us. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus physically died. Uh, And it has direct implications on us as Abraham's descendants. It deals with the issue of sin, that which separated us uh, from God, because he was our high priest. His death was our atoning sacrifice. And so he says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest, He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house bearing witness to what will be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. Indeed, if we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So here we go. This is some of the application of the passage that we have been speaking on. And, and, and so here is what I want to pull out from here. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Him. What he goes on to explain is just how Jesus is worthy of greater honor than anyone else. If we go back to the sports analogy, there is no debate at the greatness of Jesus. People can debate uh, sports players of every code uh, for days and days on end. But what the writer is unpacking here is that the faithfulness of Jesus, the work of Jesus and what he's done, there is no one who can be compared to him. Even if you want to go to Moses and they're pulling in Moses here because Moses gave them the law, Moses set them up as the nation. Moses took them out of slavery in Egypt to get them towards the promised land, all that which God called them to uh, for God's people. Moses has some significant honor, but Jesus is a so much greater honor. Why? because his death was an atoning sacrifice that removed that which separated us from God. Without that, we have no hope of being God's children. There's no hope of dealing uh, with our sin. There's no hope of us ever being in relationship with God again. And so here is uh, application number one, fix your thoughts on him. So now this is where it becomes very practical and real for us. What does that mean? Well, if I'm living in a place where I'm fixing my thoughts on Jesus as a, as a behavior because of who he is, I'm not going to be caught up in the rumors of this world. Fake news, conspiracy theories, fears uh, about what's going to be happening, fears about the future, fears about this country, fears about my family, fears... About my own life I don't get caught up in these things because my thoughts are on Jesus it means that I think about this world with a lens or a filter of the death and resurrection of Jesus and all that that means in my life when I fix my thoughts on Jesus it means I treat my family in a special way on a certain way The way I think about my spouse, uh, the way I think about my children, the way I lead my home, I'm leading and living because I'm thinking about Jesus. How much grace and mercy I have received. When I fix my thoughts on Jesus, I treat my neighbors differently, I treat strangers differently. I engage with injustices differently because my my whole worldview is looking through the lens of Jesus. And then there's two other words that come up in this passage, and that's confidence and hope. See, when I'm fixing my thoughts on Jesus and I'm resting my faith, on what actually happened and the consequence of the literal physical death and resurrection of jesus uh, these two things define my life i have hope i've mentioned that i don't fear because my greatest enemies have been defeated sin shame and death they know more i know how this world's going to end this ending with my jesus coming back I have this hope and confidence because if anything happens to me in this life, my uh, eternity is secure because of what Jesus has done. And so every single day that I wake up and I fix my thoughts on Jesus, it sets everything right for me. It even sorts out my, my private thought life and what I think about because I want to give all the glory and honor to Him in everything that I do. See, I don't want to be saying I believe something and then living my life as though he doesn't exist and that this isn't true. So if Jesus died on the cross in my place for my sin, as the atoning sacrifice acting as a sufficient high priest and rose again in victory over sin and death, If Jesus, then let us fix our thoughts on him. Let us fix our thoughts on him. So that we may live this world with confidence and hope. This is a very real application for us. We don't say these things because they're nice to hear to give us you, you know the warm phases on a sunday morning because something happened and that truth impacts every aspect of our lives so church i want to encourage you this morning fix your thoughts on jesus he is the only one who is worthy of such things But now I don't want to just leave you there just for a couple of seconds. I want you to just think about this. What are going to be my steps this week to help shift so that this becomes more of a reality for me? It's not like just a switch that we're gonna make automatically because we're so used to uh, fixing our thoughts on Facebook for our our news and our input or, or CNN or or whatever news sites you're on, you fix your thoughts on your friends and and those kinds of things. But how are you going to fix your thoughts on Jesus? What is going to be the step that you take towards this? And just want to leave you with a few quick things. Maybe it's going to be that you set some reminders on your phone to wake up a little bit earlier, to maybe uh, get to. God's Word and some time alone where you can read some scripture and maybe pray. Maybe that's not something uh, that's a habit for you or something that you don't regularly do. I want to encourage you. That's an incredible way to start your day by fixing your thoughts on Jesus. His Word and through prayer and talking to Him. Maybe it's joining up with one of our midweek uh, life groups. That's where we gather, we gather around God's Word. Some are still meeting online, some are still meeting in person. An incredible place in the middle of the week to pause and to fix your thoughts on Jesus. Maybe it's cutting down on your screen time, that you are going on a bit of a screen time diet. A Facebook diet, um, a, a news diet, and, and so you quieten those voices so that you can start to hear God's voice and words a little bit uh, more in your life. Maybe it's uh, downloading some Christian music, some worship music onto uh, your Spotify or whatever kind of music thing you have. And listening to that on your way to work, that you're filling your heart and your mind uh, with praise. Uh, we sang that song, Let Praise Be Our Weapon. And that is so true. And so, how is this truth going to affect your life? And how are you going to be making proactive steps so that you can say, Yes, I am fixing my thoughts on Jesus because of what he has done, who he is, and the implications for my life? And I'm going to practically do this. I'm going to pray. And then I want to invite those of you who would need specific prayer for anything. Our prayer team will appropriately uh, do that uh, with you. You can just come take some seats here in the front. Um, Otherwise, after our prayer for us, you can head out these doors and fetch your kids and then go around for uh, some coffee. Uh, Jesus, I am so thankful for your incredible work that you did on the cross in our place uh, for us. We know, Jesus, that that pivotal moment is what all of this rests on. We are only here because of what happened. Your work that was for us. And what that means is that we can now be in a relationship with the Father. It sorted out all that separated us from God. Jesus, that is what you did when you surrendered up your life. And so when I trust in you, when I put my faith there, that is what makes me part of your family. So God, I want to thank you so much for that. But God, I know it's not easy in the world that we live in to say that we fix our thoughts on you. So God, why why won't you help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to take the steps we need to that we can be in a better place to say that give us the courage to make the changes in our lives that we're getting up a little bit earlier that we're finding time to read your word finding time to quieten our thoughts and to actually put them to you to think about you to think about what you've done to think about what that means for my life to make shifts that drown out some of the noise in this world that's giving me fears and insecurities To be dwelling more on you so that i am experiencing the hope that i have in you and experiencing the confidence that comes from knowing that nothing can take away what you have done for me and to do that jesus we just say amen and thank you